You are listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. We exist to inspire people to live and love like Jesus. For more information, please visit our website at vintagechurch.net. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching. Best set list ever. Good. Great. I'm looking at these songs and like, I just, why y'all need me up here? Let's just keep worshiping and... Y'all are supposed to make me feel better and say, no, man. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, well, good morning, church. Uh, good morning. Thank you. We are so glad that you're here. Uh, my name is Matt, and I'm one of the pastors here at Vintage. And if today is your first time worshiping with us, we are honored. We know you could be a lot of other places, man. And uh, again, uh, it doesn't matter if you walk out of this room remembering my name or remembering these songs. Is I hope you walk out knowing that there is a group of people here that meets at this middle school week after week who loves you deeply. Um, I like it. I like it when y'all are rowdy. It's fun. Uh, and that you uh, were created by a God who loved you enough to send his son to die for you. Amen. And if you don't remember anything else, I preached a sermon right there, Hannah. Uh, hey, today, if you'll notice, over in this corner, uh, that looks like a feeding trough, because it is. Uh, we bought it at Tractor Supply. Uh, but we turn it into a baptism from time to time. And so today, at the, end of the, at the end of our time together, we're going to give you the opportunity to get baptized. Uh, if you're here and you don't know what that means, it is a symbolic gesture. It is a command in Scripture that God told, uh, Jesus told us to, he led the way. If you remember, we looked at that last week as he was baptized. Remember by his weird, creepy, hairy cousin, John? Uh, and today, we want to give you that opportunity, man. And if you came here prepared to do that, we're going to give you some instructions uh, later on in the service. But if you came here today and you have claimed to follow Jesus and you have accepted him as your Savior and you've never done that, um, I just want to encourage you to consider it as we move through our time together. Uh, and and there's, some, there's some, I thought about a story this morning. We baptized a young man. I don't have time to just tell this story, but I'm, I'm going to tell it anyway. Is that all right with everybody? Bojangles will wait. Amen. We had a young man who wanted to be baptized um, several years ago, and he was scared to death to get baptized because when he was a baby, um, his mom used to punish him by holding him under the water. And he was so scared to get baptized because he had such a, a deep fear of water from that experience. And I'll never forget the Sunday he was baptized. And I say that to say there's no excuse. If that's your step, man, if that's what God's calling you to do today. And if you didn't come prepared, we have shirts and shorts. Neither one of them are going to fit you very well, but they'll cover all the parts necessary for you to get baptized and towels and everything. And so, and there's some fear. Baptism does not mean you're perfect. It means you've been set free by the blood of Jesus and that God is doing something awesome in your life. So I know people are like, well, what if I get baptized and then I mess up tomorrow? That's going to happen. Amen, somebody? It doesn't mean you're perfect, but it means that who you were is no longer who you are, and who you're becoming is greater than anything that you can imagine as Jesus works in your life. I'm going to preach like five sermons a day, Brett. I'm just going to keep going. Thank you. Well, welcome to the finale of a series that we call Live Love. Um, this is what I, we, we typically call this a vision series, uh, but throughout this series, I've been calling it, I hope, I hope it's a revival season. 
that it's not just a vision series, it's a revival season, that God is reviving something in you, renewing something in you, refreshing something in you that just inspires you. Because this church was, was started with that one mission statement in mind. Exist, we exist to inspire people to live in love like Jesus. That is why we're here. We're not here to, to, to build a big church. We're not here just to fill this room. We're not here. And all those things we believe will be byproducts when we follow what God's called us to do. But we are here to inspire people to live and love like Jesus. And that is not some concept that we just kind of pulled out of thin air. That is, that is the biblical reason the church was given to the world. Amen, somebody. I mean, Jesus, when he lived on this earth, he, he, he basically said, he said tons of amazingly important things. But two of the most famous things he ever said were when one of the guys came up to him and said, hey, Jesus, in all of the law, like, what's the greatest commandment? Y'all remember this conversation? Thank you. Interaction. He said, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, I tell you what, you can sum up the entire law in these two sentences. Love the Lord your God with everything that you have and love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. And that like if those two things, if you will follow those and those will be the motivating factors in your life, then you will do everything that God has commanded you. If you love God with everything that you have, all your heart, soul, mind, strength, all of who you are, and if you love your neighbor as much as you love you some you, then you'll do everything I want. And then one of the other statements was before he left, after he had been crucified, after he had rose from the grave, before he ascended back to the Father, he looked at what was now just 11 of these apostles, these disciples that he had been pouring into for the last three years. And he said, hey guys, basically everything that I've shown you, everything I've done for you, everything that you've seen me do, everything that you've heard from me, go and tell that to other people. Go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you, and I'll be with you to the very end. Go do what I've done for you. And so people say, where did you get this inspiring people to live in love like Jesus? It comes right out of Scripture. That our, we're called to make disciples. And disciples are people who are constantly living and loving like Jesus a little bit more, a little bit better every single day. Come on. That you know, I'll remind you once again that if you know Jesus, if you claim to follow Jesus, the calling that you have on your life is that your life looks more like the life of Jesus every single day. Looks a little bit more like the life of Jesus every single day of your life. You're growing into the likeness of your son. Because in Jesus, God looked at humanity and said, that's how you do it. That's how it's done. In Jesus, he embodied everything that we're supposed to be. And so that's why we do this series. That's why this church exists. But here's the reality. When I say that, inspiring people to live and love like Jesus, what has concerned me as we've moved toward this version of this series is not everybody it seems to be on the same page about what that means. That I can say live and love like Jesus, but there's a lot of people, especially in our culture, we're creating a version of Jesus that I don't think lines up with God's word. Like there's this cultural Jesus that we're comfortable with and not this biblical Jesus that was somewhat controversial. And so we've been diving back into the Word to look, all right, let's look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Word of God, and this, in these pages where God has revealed to us who Jesus is and was and what He said, and that our version of Jesus can't be just something that we just conjure up out of thin air. It has to be in alignment with His Word. And not always does this Jesus that we create, this concept of Jesus that we come up with, is aligned with the reality of Jesus in Scripture. And you know what I've discovered? We like concepts much more than we like reality. Come on. Like we love concepts because concept in just pure concept form can look any, like anything we want it to look like. 
We can manipulate it. We can fix it. We can change it. They don't require a lot when it's just a concept. Like, we love concepts. Let me, good example. Like, the concept of getting a dog in your mind is great. Everybody's, you've been through this, right? If you're a parent, you go to that place where, Daddy, I want a dog. Daddy, I want a dog. Daddy. You have no idea what it means to have a dog. And, like, the concept of having a puppy is he's cute. And you walk in, and he runs the door, and he licks your face. And he's a snuggle bug, and you're just like a little puppy. That's the concept of having, the, the concept of having a puppy seems awesome. The reality of the puppy is you walk out of the bedroom, turn down the hall, and you feel something warm and smushy under your foot. <laughs> That's the reality of having a dog. Come on. I mean, concepts are great, but sometimes the concept of a wedding is a lot different than the reality of having a marriage. In concept, she'll never change. In concept, I'll change him in every way I can. I didn't have to change my wife. She's perfect. She ain't even in here, so I don't even get points for that. Yo, somebody has to tell her I said that. And that we're starting a marriage series next Sunday, and we're going to talk about it a little bit more. The concept of starting a church was cool. We can create. We can, we don't, we won't have any old people saying we've never done that before. The reality of planning a church is you're broken homeless. It's difficult. And I just wonder if we like the concept of living and loving like Jesus, but we don't really understand the reality of what that really means. And I don't want inspiring people to live in love like Jesus to just be a concept. We didn't come here to create a concept. And see, the, the concept of living and loving like Jesus can, can, be, can be really appealing to a lot of people. Because there's a lot of people that the concept you have of Jesus is that he was this kind, meek, gentle guy that everybody loved. And everybody loves Jesus, and I want everybody to love me, so living and loving like Jesus sounds good. Then you start reading God's Word, and you see a little bit different picture than that concept you have in your mind. See, concepts, at some point, they have to cross the threshold of reality, right? And if you like me, that there's a lot of times what, what I had in my mind and what happened in real life, they, they didn't look quite the same. And here's the reality. When, when you cross from concept to reality, it often, most often, pretty much always, comes with commitment and has a cost. See, concepts really don't have costs or commitments. They, they can just be a figment of your imagination. They can be whatever you want them to be. But when you cross the threshold of concept to reality, it comes with a commitment and has a cost. Amen, somebody. All the ones I just talked about, like having a dog, when you cross that threshold from the concept of having a dog to having a dog, it comes with commitment and a cost. This morning, it was cold out in my boxers taking my dog out to pee. Too much? <laughs> Y'all didn't laugh. I'm sorry. The concept of marriage seems great. The concept of it is it takes work and effort. The concept of following Jesus, when you cross the threshold of, to reality and realize it comes with commitment and has a cost, 
And see, here, the, the problem is, so often when we make that transition from concept to reality, because we really haven't considered the commitment and the cost, when those two things kick in, we typically cave. And the reason why we struggle to consistently follow when concept becomes reality is because we didn't consider the commitment and we're not willing to pay the cost. And if we're going to live and love like Jesus, not just in concept, but in reality, we have to understand that it comes with commitment and cost. I can sum up this message probably in one sentence if, if you're taking notes and you want to write it down. Salvation is free, but following has a high cost. Salvation is free, but following has a high cost. Let me get an amen. Let me hear y'all follow me. Salvation is free. What Jesus did for you on the cross to pay your sin debt, to buy you back, to make you right with God, that is freely received. It is something given to you by grace from God. Salvation is free. But following Jesus has a high cost. And Jesus left no room for ignorance on this issue. Let me show you. Go into your Bible. Go to Matthew. Go to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. And I want us to look at a conversation that Jesus has with the original, the, the first select few who would be tabbed with the task of living and loving like Jesus. The original disciples. They would be the first ones to get a crack at this living and loving like Jesus. And Jesus knows this. And he's about to have a conversation with them to help them understand. All right, guys. Remember how the, all these disciples came to him? Jesus went to him and said, follow me. And they were like, Okay. They were fishing, they were going about their lives, they were doing this job, and all of a sudden, here comes this Jesus who had this reputation, and some things had been begin to happen, they knew there was something different about him, and he throws out this idea, hey, come follow me. And really, up to this point, even for them, it was kind of a concept, because they had just now starting to learn, and it was, and it was quickly come, becoming as they followed Jesus from concept. And I wonder sometimes, what did they think it was going to look like? Like when Matthew, he's just going about his business, doing his tax collecting and whatnot. And all of a sudden, Jesus says, come follow me. And he says, okay. Like, did he have any idea what he was getting himself into? Because in concept, he thought, this is better than what I'm doing. Peter's like, I'm tired of smelling fish. I'm just going to go follow him. And now it's, a, it's about to get really, really real. Really, really, really real right here in this moment. And it's a reminder that when you cross the threshold of the concept of living and loving like Jesus into the actual reality of living and loving like Jesus, it may be a little bit different than you thought it was, and it may require a deeper commitment than you so far have been willing to give, and it may have a higher cost than maybe you have been willing to pay. You with me? Say amen, church. Follow me. Matthew chapter 10. So Jesus called his 12 disciples to him, and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every sickness and disease. That's cool. Anybody with me? Like, all right, guys, I'm going to give you the authority to go drive out impure spirits and to heal every sickness and disease. And up to this point, they just kind of been observing all this. And they're like, okay, now we get to participate in what Jesus has been doing. Verse 2, and I want to read their names in case you've never really paid attention. Matthew chapter 10, verse 2, says these are the names of the 12 disciples. First, Simon, who is called Peter. 
and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So these were the first group of men that would be challenged to live and love like Jesus. And now it's kind of getting real. The concept of following Jesus is quickly becoming reality. Verse 5 says, These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any, enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim the message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. Now this gets me jacked up. Like I hear zombie nation playing in the background. Oh, like, like, and they're jumping like, yeah, it's about time, Jesus. We've been waiting for this. Let's go. Am I weird? I mean, can you imagine, like, here they are. So far, they've been, like, just watching, thinking, dude, did you see what Jesus just did? He just healed that guy. That blind guy can see. That person that was going to die, he healed him. That little girl was dead, and Jesus rose her up. Like, wouldn't it be cool if we could do that? And now Jesus is like, hey, guys, all this stuff I've been doing, it's your turn. I said, like, oh, yeah, let's go. Let's go. And then Jesus says this. So I, I just, they're just jacked up. I mean, they're chest bumping. They're just having a good time. And then verse, six, verse 16, the conversation takes a turn. So he say, hey, guys, all right, it's time to follow me. It's time to get on board. I said, I'm, I'm going to unleash you into this ministry and all these awesome things, and you're going to be empowered and equipped, and all this cool stuff's going to happen. But you need to know something. Verse 16, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. Now, I like to think, like, they're just having, like, yeah, we're going to do all this kind of stuff. Do you still talk? No, he's flogged. Like, wait, did he say flogged? It's like, like, Thomas is like, he said flogged. No, Jesus, go back to, like, healing the sick and demons and all that kind of stuff. What, what did Jesus, he just said, all right, we're going to do all these cool things as we follow him. But, but just so you know, flogged. And see, we laugh at that word because it just sounds funny. But I don't know if you recall, but Jesus was flogged. Right before he was forced to carry the beam of his cross to the hill where he would give up his life. Flogging was done with a whip they would call the cat of nine tails. It was a leather whip with bone woven into the tips of it that they would hit you with where the bone sucked, it would sink down into your flesh and then they would just rip it out. They would give you 39 because they would convince that 40 would kill you. And Jesus just said, hey, just so you know, all, as you follow me and you do all these awesome things and I'm empowering you, there's going to be people that don't like it. There's going to be people that don't understand it. And in their lack of understanding of who you are and in their frustration with what you're doing, there's a chance they could flog you. Concept just quickly became reality. And reality comes with commitment and a high cost. But Jesus wouldn't stop there. Look what he says next. Drop down to verse uh, verse 18. It says, on my account, basically because, because you follow me, because you love me, because you're going to attempt to live and love like I have lived and loved, on, account, on my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. 
but when they arrest you, not but if they arrest you, but when they arrest you, when they arrest you, don't worry about what you will say or how you will say it. I'm thinking that's the last thing I'm worried about, Jesus. I'm I'm worried about dying. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of the Lord, or the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Verse 21. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Wait, what? Jesus says, oh, oh, by the way, like if you're going to attempt this living and loving like me, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to let this go from concept to reality, and I don't know what you thought following Jesus looked like. I don't know what your concept of that might have been. I know maybe it has probably been skewed at times by maybe very well-intended preachers that told you that following Jesus meant you are going to have rainbows and unicorns and it's going to be beautiful and everything's going to be great and you're going to have all the money you ever need. And if you just do this, you're going to have a big house and nice cars and your wife's going to love you and your children are going to act right. But here Jesus is saying, hey, if you want to follow me, it's going to be awesome. There's going to be unbelievable things that I'm going to empower you to do, and following me will be the greatest thing that you've ever done. But you need to know something. That decision to follow me, there's going to be people that don't get it. There's going to be people that don't understand it. There's going to be people that don't understand it so deeply that their response to be you is, is going to be, let's just say a little negative. And you need to understand it, and you need to know it. Verse 22. You will be hated by everyone because of me. I don't know about you, but I like to be liked. And Jesus says, you'll be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Jesus says, you know what, if you're going to follow me, if this thing is going to go from just a concept that's been nice and fun up until this point, and you're going to cross the threshold of reality, you have to understand that there's going to be people that just based on what you believe about me, they're not going to like you. Can you imagine a culture where people, when they stand for truth and they follow Jesus and they try to honor his word and be true to who God said we're supposed to be, can you imagine there would be a culture where people didn't understand that so much that they hated a group of people because of their belief? Sounds foreign? Or does it sound quite familiar? Y'all go to sleep on me? He says, they're going to hate you. And then look what he says next, verse 24. The student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebul, how much more the members of his household He said, remember, like, everything that they've said about me, and they've said all kinds of ugly, hateful, mean things about me. You don't think because when you follow me, they're not going to put you with give you the same labels and say the same things about you. Verse 26 says, so don't be afraid of them. Like, Jesus, that's a lot to say, and then tell us not to be scared. So, I mean, Jesus just said, like, if you're going to follow me, like, it's going to be, can I say something to you? And I love you. And I'm saying, 
if you're going to follow Jesus the way Jesus has called you to follow him, it will be the hardest thing you ever do. It will be the hardest thing you ever do. Consistently living and loving like Jesus, following him the way he has laid out for us to follow him, it will be the most difficult thing you ever attempt in your life. It will be, uh, it'll be harder than parenting. It'll be harder than trying to stay married. It'll be harder than all, the, all these things that you think are really, and, and you're saying, Matt, like, dude, say something positive. I'm positive. It's going to be hard. And I wish I didn't have to tell you that. But Jesus didn't leave room for ignorance on this. He was very clear. Now let me tell you, following Jesus is the most beautiful, powerful, rewarding, fulfilling, only way to do life. But it's hard. And Jesus said it would be. He said, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Verse 32, whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. Whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Because he says, you know, here's what's going to happen. It's going to get so difficult for you. It's going to be so hard for you to follow me that there may come a time when the commitment and the call seems a little bit too much. And you cave and realize that when you cave and you give up on me, this is my, my response is going to have to be. And look what he says in verse 34. But do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. That's a tough verse to wrestle with. So, amen, somebody? You realize that the Prince of Peace just said that. The Prince of Peace just said, oh, so you thought that, that me come to this earth would somehow just unite everybody and everything would be great and everything would be harmonious, harm, that word, and everything would be great and united and all this cool stuff would happen. But he said, what you don't realize is, see, Jesus realized that I'm bringing truth to a broken world. And when truth bumps up against brokenness, sometimes it unleashes chaos. And Jesus knew that. It's not that Jesus doesn't love peace and want peace and desire peace. Jesus just realized in the sinful, broken world in which we live, when we have the opportunity to reject him and walk away and go our own way and believe our own thing, that when truth and brokenness kind of come into clash with one another, it can be tentious and it can be difficult. And Jesus said, you know what? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And I've put my truth in you. And now as you carry my truth into the world, understanding it's not going to be all rainbows and kisses and everything's going to be great. And he said, maybe you thought that following me meant y'all were going to be rich and have all these things and experience all this. But what you need to know is like, it doesn't quite work that way. And then look what he says. Let's keep reading. Verse 35. Again, this is, this is, these are the words of Jesus. It says, for I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. 
a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. You know what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying, you know what? Because of what I'm doing in you, because of the change I'm making in you, and because you begin to walk with me, there's going to be people, maybe even in your own family, that don't get it, that don't understand it, that think you're crazy, that think you're ridiculous, that believe a different way. And you know what? Because of your beliefs clashing against their beliefs, it's going to create such tension that there's going to be strife that you're going to have to wrestle with and navigate through and deal with. That when you seriously seek and follow me, that there's going to be things that happen around you because of that decision that are going to be painful and hurtful and hard. And maybe even the people that are closest to you now are not going to get it. We've experienced this. You have. There was a time when you, you came in here or someplace and you found Jesus and God began to change your life. And then you had to go interact with those people that knew you B.C., before Christ. And you're, this new faith that you have, they don't get it. They don't understand it. So, so it but doesn't come in the persecution of flogging, but maybe little sarcastic comments that are just as painful at times. And we've all experienced it. And Jesus said you would. Now when you find him, there's going to be people at work, at school, down the hall of your own home who may not get it. It's going to be difficult. And that's the reality. Then he says something in verse 37. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. That's hard to hear. To a degree, isn't it? Anyone who loves their father or mother, I love my mom and daddy. I love my kids. Jesus, anyone who loves their father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. What he's saying is, you know what? If if you don't love me more than everything, then anything has the opportunity to draw you away. That you know what, when, when life turns up the heat on your faith and when pressure comes and when living and loving like Jesus gets difficult and when all these pressures and temptations and things are pulling in every direction from you, the only way that you're ever going to stay consistent and follow me the way I've called you to follow me is if you love me more than everything else. Like that's the only option. And right there, Jesus kind of gives us the key to how we accomplish this thing, how we end up really being willing to give the commitment and pay the cost. And because see, that's the question. Like, I get, this is overwhelming, isn't it? You can say, man, it's overwhelming to realize. Uh, and maybe some people are getting a really big reality check, and you're like, whoa. Like, I never realized this. I thought, you know, that following Jesus was I make one decision, and then I come to church every now and then and throw, throw some money in the plate and, and, and Caleb's preset, and I read verse of the day on my iPhone, and boom, that's it. That's nice in theory. That's a good concept, but that ain't what Jesus said was reality. He said, you got to love me more than everything else. Everything else. But you know what I found? If you love him more than anything, you don't hesitate to give him everything. 
When you love him more than anything, you don't hesitate to give him everything. And the only way that you'll ever live and love like Jesus in the reality that he called us to is love has to be your motivation. See, there's some people in the room like that you've tried this before and you feel, you walk in here and you feel guilty right now because you're like, I've messed up again and I've tried to follow him and I've, and I've slipped back and I've wavered and I've done all this kind of stuff. The, number one, I don't think guilt is from God. I think God uses conviction to spur us around, but Satan wants you to feel guilty because guilt, guilt will paralyze you and cause you to wallow in your own shame. And see, some of us have tried this living and loving like Jesus just kind of out of guilt. That's been our motivation because some preacher yelled and spit on us when we were four and we were supposed to, we had to. We were scared of that man. And you know what? Here's the thing. If, if guilt is, the, is, is your motivational, if, if that's your motivation for living and loving like Jesus, guilt will come and go. And so we are commitment. Some of us, it's just plain fear. Some of us came here and our decision to live and love like Jesus is because we really just don't want to go to hell. Like, I just don't want to go there. And I can appreciate that. But again, that's a, an emotion that will come and go. And so many of us have spent our entire lives trying to pursue Jesus out of guilt and fear and shame. And Jesus is like, stop. Don't you remember what I said? He didn't say, if, if you feel more guilt about this than that, then you can follow me. He said, if you love me more. Like love is the key that unlocks the commitment and causes you to have the willingness to pay the cost. You want to live in love like Jesus? Then you have to deeply love Jesus. Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Here, he, once again, he's talking to these same disciples. And he says, as the Father has loved me, so I loved you. Then look what he says now. He says, now remain in my love. He doesn't say, remain in your guilt, and you'll get it right. He doesn't say, remain in your shame, and you'll be willing. He doesn't say, remain in your fear. He says, you want to live in love like Jesus? Remain in my love. That if you want to live in love like Jesus, you have to deeply love Jesus. And in concept, that can be anything you want it to be. But in the reality of God's word, that, that is a big commitment with a very high cost. And the only way you'll pay it is if you deeply love Jesus. So then the question is, all right, how do I get to that place? Where I deeply love Jesus. Let me tell you how. You responding in love will only come after you fully received his love. When you fully received his love, you will respond with love. When you understand how deeply he loves you, that for God so loved you that he gave his one and only son that you might have eternal life. 
You can't, when you get to the place where you truly understand the depths of God's love and you stop measuring it by your current circumstances or the, the amount of money in your bank account. See, when, to, to understand the depth of his love, you can't look at all the external things. You know where you have to look? The cross. Because right there, he did the only thing, even if it was the one thing, that was enough to demonstrate how deeply he loved you. You want to live in love like Jesus? There it is. In reality, it's difficult, but it is the only thing worth giving your life to. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes with me? If you're here today and you're ready to respond to what Jesus has done in your life through going public and through baptism, I might invite you to do something for me. Stand up right where you are, head out those back doors. A couple of our pastors are going to be there to meet you, to give you further instructions. You can go ahead and go now. Just get up where you're sitting, stand up, make your way out of the aisle, go through those back doors and have a conversation with our pastors and they'll give you further instructions. If you came prepared to do that, awesome. Let me tell you something. If you came and you aren't prepared to do that, but you're ready to do that, would you just respond in obedience to God? We have everything you need to be obedient in that way. There's shirts, there's shorts, there's towels, there's everything that you need. If God's moving in your heart, I have people all the time, well, I was, I was baptized when I was four, and, and I don't remember it. Do I still have to get baptized again? No, you don't have to, but if that's what God's calling you to do, you be obedient, you respond. You can go now. Go ahead. If you're fighting it, don't fight it. Well, this is not my church. I'm only here for this Sunday. That's fine. Go public. Profess that faith before this group of people of who Jesus is in your life and what he's done. Or maybe you're here today and the first thing you need to do is, is, is receive. You've never allowed your heart to be open to the love of God. You've never allowed yourself to be open to the sacrifice he made for your salvation. And maybe you just need to make that decision and it's really simple to do. So again, salvation is free. If that's you and you've never invited Jesus into your heart, would you just throw your hand up really high and leave it up and let me pray for you. Just throw it up and leave it up because I want to see it. Amen. 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 Thank you. You can put them down. I'm going to pray for you in just a moment. I'm going to invite the entire church, if you would, just stand with me very reverently and quietly. And we're going to spend some time worshiping while these get ready for baptism. Can I say, man, just let God keep speaking to your heart. Be open to what he wants to say. If you want to come and kneel around this altar and pray, maybe you just want to celebrate the gift of salvation. Maybe you want to make a commitment to follow more consistently and boldly and proudly. Maybe you want to just, maybe God's just doing something in your heart and you need to respond. You need to come, put, get on your knees and lift, it, uh, lift up prayers to him. Father, I pray that right now that you would just wash your love over this room, God. God, being motivated by love for you is the only way we can ever do this the way you've called us to do it, Lord. And our response of love, it comes from receiving love that you poured out through Jesus on that cross. And God, I pray that today that your love would be so real in this room and that people would respond accordingly as you move among us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at vintagechurch.net.